Yes, this morning we're reading from Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew. James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Well, I wonder if you remember these uh, Philadelphia cream cheese ads that Tom's going to pop on the screen behind me. Do you remember seeing these on TV? I think they were kind of pretty popular back in the 90s. Um, They told us that Philadelphia cream cheese is, is heavenly. The ads often had people dressed in white, angels' wings maybe on their back, and they were floating around in these fluffy clouds as they ate their bagels with their cream cheese on them. The premise of the ad is really pretty stupid, isn't it? I mean, if you are standing around eating a bagel on a cloud, what's going to stop you just plummeting back down to the earth? I don't really understand how it's supposed to work, but nonetheless, the idea is there, isn't it? Philadelphia cream cheese, it's a heavenly food product apparently, not for me but maybe for some of you. Um, And they tell us that heaven is up there in the clouds. It's a popular culture idea, isn't it, that heaven's kind of up there in the clouds. And that when we get there, well of course what happens? We eat bagels with cream cheese on them. Today we're starting to look at Acts chapter 1. We're going to be looking at this uh, book of Acts for a number of weeks Um, three weeks at the moment, and then we'll come back to it throughout the rest of the year. And I think in a way, Acts chapter 1 is partly to blame for these Philadelphia cream cheese ads. You see, in Acts chapter 1, we read about the ascension of Jesus. There's no doubt about what's on view, I think, in this chapter. Jesus is ascending to heaven, and as he does so, there are clouds. These clouds, they, they hide Jesus from the disciples' sight as he's watching on. There are are clouds, there's no cream cheese, but there are clouds. And over the next 20 minutes or so, I want us to think through a couple of things that arise from this chapter. 
Now, here's the first thing I'd like us to think through. What is the ascension all about? We just read about it, the ascension of Jesus. What's it all about? What does it mean? And the second thing I want us to think about today is, what is Acts about? What is this book that we're about to look at? What is it about? What's the ascension about? What's Acts about? That's what we're going to look at today. Let's start, start with the ascension. I'm just going to read this little bit about Jesus ascending again. You might to follow along on your Bibles if you've got one in front of you or look on the screen. It's from verse 9 of Acts chapter 1. So after he had said this, after Jesus had spoken, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They, as the disciples, were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said. Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Now, it is a pretty strange image, isn't it? The ascending Jesus going up into the clouds with these angels kind of watching on. And for me, one of the questions that comes out when I read this passage, one of the questions I want to know the answer to is where has he gone? I mean, surely he's not still up there floating around in the clouds, not still eating cream cheese bagels, right? And we know that's kind of impossible because, well, most of us have been up in the clouds at some point in our life. Disciples probably hadn't, but we live in an age where you can, well, you used to be able to jump into a plane and fly to places. Some of us have done that recently. It was a fair while ago for me, but I can still remember being in an aeroplane flying through the clouds and they're not as fluffy and as white in reality when you're up there they're kind of wispy and almost gray and watery and i've never seen the cream cheese up there either i don't know about you and when you're flying around those clouds you don't see jesus do you and i don't think it's just that he's gone above the clouds i don't think he's just gone up into space either meredith and i have been been watching a lot of space exploration tv shows lately looks like mike has been as well um you know, the first guy who ever went up into space, uh, his name was Yuri Gagarin or something along those lines. I've got a photo of him on the screen behind me. You can see his, his little space capsule there and him or an effigy of him next to it. He's the first man in space and he's rumoured to have said when he came back down, he's rumoured to have said, I didn't see any God up there. In other words, I went up into space and I didn't see Jesus up there either. Many have sort of in hindsight, made a smart remark afterwards and they say, Yuri, you would have if you had have opened your space capsule door and you would have come face to face with him. (laughs) So here's the thing though, Jesus is not in the clouds, is he? And it seems, according to Yuri at least, that he's not up in the sky above, he's not up in space either. So we might ask a question then, where is Jesus today? Well, here's what I think we know from the Bible. We know that Jesus has been raised from the dead with a physical body. We can read about that even in the first little bit of Acts. We saw that today. Raised with a physical body and he's now seated at the right hand of God the Father in heaven. That's what we know about where he is. But then what does this little bit of Acts, what does it tell us about Jesus why does the author, his name's Luke, by the way, why does, why does Luke bother, reco- bother to record this bit about the clouds and Jesus ascending up into them? 
Well, to ask the question in a slightly different way for you today, what does the ascension tell us about who Jesus is? I wonder how you'd answer that question. How does the ascension contribute to who Jesus is in your understanding? So when you think about the cross, I think most of us would be able to articulate that the cross has something to do with the sacrificial death of Jesus, his ransom-paying work as our substitute. If you think about the resurrection of Jesus, you might be able to articulate something like it validates him as the Son of God. It's the guarantee that he is no ordinary man. So what does the ascension add to your understanding about who Jesus is? What do you think? Here's what I think. I I think the big thing about the ascension, and we heard this in the kids' talk, it's not so much about the physical location of where Jesus is, but the ascension tells us about who Jesus is. Who? Well, because he ascended, it means Jesus is the one who's been exalted by God. Exalted to his right hand. Exalted to a place of authority. In other words, the ascension tells us that Jesus is the one who rules. The one who's been given authority and power and glory. Now that rule may still be contested here on earth. Some people don't acknowledge Jesus as the king who reigns. But the ascension, especially the way that Luke tells it, I think that's what it's contributing towards our understanding of Jesus. It's supposed to help us see his authority and his power and his glory, his rule. Who is he? Jesus is the one who governs the whole universe, who rules, who sits at God's right hand. Now, how do we know, how do we know that? Where does that come to us from in the Bible? Well, I want us just to look at two passages with you today. The first we've already seen in the kids' talk, it's Daniel 7, and then we'll just um, very quickly dip into Psalm 110. So we looked at Daniel 7 already in our kids' talk today, but we're going to go back there. And what I want you to first remember is the ascension helps us to answer the question of who Jesus is more than the where question. And I think Daniel 7 will help us to make sense of the clouds that we see in this passage. See, Daniel tells us about a person who comes on the clouds and that person is called the Son of Man and that person is given authority and glory and sovereign power over all nations. So you got your Bibles there, come with me to Daniel chapter 7. I think Tom's going to put it up on the screen behind us. In Daniel, Daniel has been having a dream. He's seen four beasts that represent four kings that each in turn rise up to rule. But these kings then have their power taken from them. And then in verse 13, we read this. In my vision at night, as Daniel speaking, I looked and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Can you see the connection points between Daniel and and Acts? Ever notice that in the Gospels, it's Jesus when he refers to himself, he talks about him as the Son of Man. Now, Now, given that he was kind of 
looked like a man. That seems like a strange way to refer, refer to himself, isn't it? Why didn't he call himself the Son of God? Why did he call himself the Son of Man and not the Son of God? Have you ever noticed that before in the Gospels? Let me show you, it's a bit of a sidetrack, but just let me show you how this works. Luke chapter 19, the story of Zacchaeus, you might remember that, he's the vertically challenged tax collector, Zacchaeus. Uh, Luke and Acts are the same, written by the same person. In Luke 19, verses 9 and 10, Jesus was speaking to the tax collector Zacchaeus, and he says to him this, he says, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. Here's Jesus refers to himself, for the Son of Man, that's Jesus, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. See, Jesus calls himself the Son of Man. And you see that in Daniel? The Son of Man is the one who comes on the clouds of heaven, just like the ascension. And he's led into the presence of the Ancient of Days, I think he's led into the presence of God the Father, and there he's given authority and glory and sovereign power. What does this all mean? Well, the ascension tells us not so much where Jesus is, sure, he's at the right hand of God, but it tells us perhaps more about who he is. Who is he? Well, he's the one with authority and glory and sovereign power. I think that's what the ascension adds to our understanding of who Jesus is. It helps us to see that Jesus rules at the right hand of the Father. Now, we don't just see that from Daniel. We see it in other passages in the Bible as well. And Luke, in his, uh, in his book of Acts, he will, in chapter 2, go on to quote from Psalm 110. We're going to look at that more closely next week, so we won't dip into it too much today. But again, in Psalm 110, we see the ascended Jesus as one who rules with authority. So what's the ascension about? It's about the rule and the reign and the authority of Jesus. That was the first thing I wanted to look at with you this morning. What's the ascension about? The rule and the reign of Jesus. The second thing I wanted to explore with you this morning is what is the book of Acts about? What's this book about? What's its purpose? It's a pretty long book in the Bible, quite a few chapters, and we're going to be looking at it over a number of uh, sessions, number of months. So as we begin this morning, it's a good idea to ask the question, what's it all about? Here's my answer. The book of Acts tells us how the gospel, that's the word of God, how the gospel makes its way through the witnesses of the disciples to the very ends of the earth. And we see this in the section that we just read today. We see a summary statement of what the whole book's about. We see that in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. If Tom can put it on the screen, that'd be great. Let me read it to you. It says this, Jesus is speaking here to his disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's a summary statement for what this book is about. In the book of Acts, it tells the story of how the gospel makes its way through the witnesses of the disciples to the very ends of the earth. What does it mean for us? Well, a couple of things. Firstly, I think we are caught up in this today. I think each of us, if we call ourselves a disciple of Jesus, we're kind of caught up, aren't we, in the purpose of Acts. Even though this is kind of like 2,000 years or so after Luke wrote these words, we still, by implication I think, have a role to play in seeing the good news of Jesus spread throughout the world. 
The church then is on mission still today, isn't it? And not just when it's a special week or a special event or a special particular time in the year. Being on mission, seeing the gospel spread should be part of what churches are about. Did you notice also that we do it in the power of the Holy Spirit? I think it's the other thing about the book of Acts that's really interesting to note. The book of Acts assumes that there's more to this world than just the physical things that we can see and taste and touch. In other words, the book of Acts assumes that there's a spiritual realm. We're going to see that um, over the coming few weeks. There's more going on in the book of Acts than just the physical. And when we see that already today in the Ascension, Jesus isn't just simply floating around in the clouds. The ascension is more than just a physical act. There's a spiritual dimension that goes on in that ascension. The book of Acts will help us to see the reality of the spiritual world. Here's the thing. I'm not sure that many of my friends outside of church are willing to accept this spiritual world. I'm not sure that my old engineering workmates who I catch up with every now and again, I'm not sure that they think very much beyond the physical world. And yet each of them in their own particular way are still looking for meaning and purpose and direction in life. They're not looking for it in the spiritual world. And I think the book of Acts is going to help us with this because it will show us that the spiritual world has meaning and purpose and significance. It's so often just missing when all we see is the physical things around us. Let me just give you an example of this, what I I mean. The spiritual world, it helps us to see, I think, the value of people. Because at the physical level, they estimate that a person is worth somewhere around $700. I'll tell you what I mean. If we broke our components of our bodies down into the sort of chemicals that we're made up of, and you work out how much calcium and phosphorus and iron, all those sorts of things that make up a human body, they reckon that we would add up to about $700, something like that. And most of the value is in the phosphorus and the calcium, and the rest of us is, is pretty much worthless. And there's big errors of margin in these calculations. Some people come up with much lower values, but at the most, we'd be about $700. That's the value of a body. But of course, we are much more than just the ingredients that make up each one of us. We have value because we're loved by Jesus, this ascended and ruling king. A ruling and ascended and powerful king who died for us. Over the next few months, we're going to speak a bit more, I'm going to speak a bit more about a man called Sam Chan, who's an evangelist. But here's how Sam Chan puts this. He says this, there's more to this life than what we can just see and touch. We're more than just atoms and molecules. We are more than just another species of life on this planet. We're more than just a blip in the timeline of the universe. We are more than the sum of our parts. We are part of something bigger. We're part of something bigger. And I'd love that to be a tagline that you kind of hold on to as we make our way through the book of Acts. We are part of something bigger. What is that? Well, we're part of the mission of God. I wonder if you've ever felt like you're kind of stuck on a a bit of a treadmill or trapped in life. I think many of us feel like that sometimes. Life often so feels so kind of so predictable, but yet so hard work. 
And you go to school. If you work hard enough at school, you'll go to university. If you work hard enough at university, you'll find a respectable job. If you work hard enough in that job, you'll get a mortgage. And then if you work hard enough, you'll pay that off. And then you get sick and you die. It's a bit bleak, isn't it? Acts has a different story. We are part of something bigger, part of the mission of God. And I hope this morning you're able to take some encouragement from that. Because the one who rules, the one who's called us into this mission, the Son of Man is the one who rules with absolute power and absolute glory. And he chose us, his disciples, to be the means by which his message, the gospel, will go to the ends of the earth. Now, let me be clear, the book of Acts is a book of history. It contains the names of people. It tells us what particular people did on particular days, where they went, what they said. But the spiritual realm, well, it's also shot all the way through this book. It kind of permeates each of the chapters. We've seen it today. Jesus is taken up into heaven to a place that clearly can't be all physical. And yet it can contain a physical body. Something mystical about that. The spiritual world, it has meaning. In fact, the things that happen in the spiritual realm are perhaps more real and more long-lasting than the things that happen in the physical world. And Acts, I want you to see, is a book where the spiritual is on view. We're going to see that really clearly next week when we look at the story of Pentecost. But it comes up again and again throughout this book because Acts is a story about the progress of God's Word going out to the ends of the earth and that mission is fueled by the Spirit of God. Just remind you of the purpose statement. Come back with me to Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Jesus says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. It's Spirit-fueled. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, I want you to see this is a commission that Jesus gives to his disciples. Remember, he's the Son of Man. He's the one who's been given authority and power. And with that authority and power over every language and every nation and every people, he says, go out and spread my word. He says to his disciples, you be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, today we might be a little bit unfamiliar with this geography. Tom, if you've got a chance, can you throw the map up on the screen behind me? What I think Jesus is saying here is a bit like saying, you'll be my witnesses in Adelaide and then a bit further out, South Australia, and a bit further out again, Australia, and then to the ends of the earth. See, Jerusalem is in the center of that map, and you have Judea and Samaria kind of getting bigger and bigger and bigger and to the very ends of the earth. Over the coming weeks, we're going to see how this mission, fueled by the Spirit, how it goes. But for now, I want you to simply see that this is the idea of Acts, that the message of the gospel will go out. As it's so much so the message of this book that throughout the book of Acts, we'll see progress reports given about how the gospel spreads. We haven't got time this morning to look at all of those progress reports. I just want to show you one. It's there in Acts chapter 6, verse 7. I think I've got that on the screen as well. And here we see the summary of what happened in Jerusalem itself. The next progress report will be Samaria and then Judea and then so on and so on. This is what it says in Acts chapter 6 verse 7. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem, the first bit, increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. 
The other big idea, the book of Acts is about the spirit-fueled witness of Jesus from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. That's the mission of the people who are disciples of Jesus. And I take it, that must then influence what we do as a church today. Now, we're about as far as you can get from Jerusalem. I think it's something like 13,000 kilometres away as the crow flies. And I wonder, in a sense, then, Adelaide is kind of what Luke had in mind when he thought about the ends of the earth. The reality is, isn't it? Here in Australia, our friends and our family and our workmates and our neighbours, the person who you sit next to the bus when you make your way into work, they need to know the story of who Jesus is. They need to know that there's more to this life than just the physical. They need to know about the ruling, risen, ascended Jesus. Part of our mission as a church is to help spread that good news, to help be witnesses of Jesus to those people. We're going to sing a song together in a moment that It's a new song and it reminds us of just this reality. It's going to be a kind of theme song that we sing throughout our time looking at Acts. It's a song uh, that helps us to to remember that we're part of this mission and what the mission is. I've got a few other things to say uh, before we finish today, but actually I'm going to ask Jack to come up and and teach us this song now because it really fits very well with this idea of what the mission of Acts is. Thanks, Jack. It's a catchy tune, isn't it? But, But here's... Here's the reality, here's the thing, every nation does need to know that there's salvation only in the name of Jesus. That means Adelaide needs to know these things as well. And that's what I want us to just finish pondering this morning. The risen Jesus, the ascended Jesus, he has a mission and a purpose for us today. As his disciples, he wants us to witness to the ends of the earth. He wants us to witness here in Adelaide And I think he wants some of us to go from Adelaide to keep making disciples. How are we going to do that as a church? Well, that's a question I want us to be thinking through, really, for the rest of the year. But here's a starting point, and that starting point is our attitude. We are witnessing to the one who has ascended, to the one who rules with power and authority and glory. That means as evangelists, we we know where the world is going. We know the direction of where the outcome of the world is going. Let me give you an example of how this kind of might play out in our thinking. Uh, You might be into the footy. I wonder if you ever tried to recruit someone to be a supporter of your team. Have you ever tried doing that? It's easier when your team's winning, isn't it? It's easier when you have the benefit of um, victory on your side. You have greater confidence as you recruit people. So imagine for the Wilsons wearing their Richmond shoes and their Richmond scarves and their Richmond hat. It's been easier over the last few years for them to recruit people to join them than it might have been in the early 2000s or the 90s. But if you knew your team was going to keep on winning forever, you'd be the greatest evangelist for your team there ever was, wouldn't there? Wouldn't you be? It's easier when you know that you're winning. And here's what I want you to see this morning. Today, Jesus already rules in heaven. Every other power has been defeated and he will return in the same way that he went. He will return on the clouds of heaven, victorious. And then his rule will be uncontested even here on earth. 
me read to you what it says from Romans chapter 14. It says this, For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. Here's the attitude I'd love you to have as you think about how we as a church might bear witness to who Jesus is. He's the ascended king. He's the ruling king. He's already won the victory. He already has that glory and that power and that authority. And I hope that helps fuel and inspire your witness. The other thing I want us to think through is to remember that we are already part of something bigger. We're more than just atoms and molecules, as Sam Chan puts it. We're more than just another species of life on this planet. We're more than just a blip in the timeline of the universe. There's more to this life than what we can just see and touch. We know that the spiritual realm is real. We know that we have the spirit in us, fueling us in the task of being witnesses to Jesus. And I hope this encourages you this morning as you think about how you might describe the story of the gospel, there is more to this life than just the here and now. And that means that every nation needs to know that there's salvation in Jesus' name alone. We need to take that message to Adelaide and to the ends of the earth. We're going to think about that again in a few minutes, but before we do that, let me pray. Father God, we thank you for the book of Acts. We thank you for its reminder that The king who we worship is a king who rules with absolute authority and power and glory. Father, we thank you that there's more to just, more to this world and more to our life than just being on the treadmill of the physical things. We thank you that in the spiritual world, we have greater hope. We thank you that we are loved and valued, loved enough that you would lay down your only son's life for us. Father, we pray that you would help us to be a church that's on mission, a church that's willing to bear witness to your son as a risen and ruling king. Amen.